Support for Off the Path comes from Adelphi University with over 225 undergraduate, graduate, and continuing ed programs. Adelphi.edu slash extraordinary. The state of Maine has deep forests and rocky shores. It also has one small stretch of sandy dunes in the town of Freeport that looks more like the Sahara than northern New England. It's called the Desert of Maine, but it's not a real desert. This is Off the Path from WSHU Public Radio. I'm Davis Donovan. It's a lack of precipitation that defines a desert. This 40-acre patch of land gets plenty of rain and snow, more than the national average, actually. So why are there barren sand dunes everywhere? This is glacial sand that you're seeing. Mila Jones, owner of the Desert of Maine, leads me across one of the dunes. She says it's a remnant of the days when a huge glacier sat over half of North America. And um, it was so heavy that it pushed the land down. The ocean flooded in. When the land started to rise again, the ocean currents, sort of the different particles that were created by the glacier as it was scraping across the land, and some of the very, very finest particles of sand settled here. Soil covered the sand, then grass, then trees. For thousands of years, this looked just like any other patch of forest in Maine until a family named the Tuttles settled in the area in the 1820s and built a farm. They raised sheep, maybe a few too many. In this part of Maine, people had about 15 sheep, 20 sheep. The the Tuttles had 200 sheep. It was too many. They had too many sheep. And they were growing um, potatoes and hay, which really take a lot of nutrients out of the soil. Mila says you can't blame them. These are both really profitable things to do on a Maine farm. And it was hard to farm in Maine. There was a lot of competition. So they couldn't really be faulted for just trying to survive. But their farming practices proved destructive. Sheep eat grasses. They graze really low, right to the soil. So once topsoil is exposed, it starts to dry up and blow away. And then underneath was that glacial sand. First one small patch of sand, then another. The Tuttles abandoned the farm in 1890. By that point, it was covered in nearly 100 acres of dunes. Here we are walking over one of the large dunes of the desert. You can see that the sand is really sparkly. It has a mineral called mica in it that makes it sparkle like this. It also cools it down. So it's, it's not like beach sand that burns your feet. You, you can walk on the sand barefoot in pretty hot temperatures. And it looks like some people have uh, come through here fairly recently. You can see the tracks. Yes, yeah, there are people who like to take their shoes off and run through here. This land sat unused for decades. Then a guy named Henry Goldrup bought the land for $300 in 1925 from a friend. He was an original beatnik kind of guy. He was just very creative, very resourceful. His buddy inherited this land and the story goes that his wife didn't want to live out here it was just like why do you want to live on a desolate abandoned farm and somehow henry got the idea to to buy the abandoned farm he set up a little hot dog and ice cream popcorn stand and started 
inviting in tourists. The desert of Maine added campgrounds, cabins, even a miniature golf course. It became a popular tourist attraction. Mila shows me one of the many highlights from that time. We're coming up on a spring house. More like a gazebo, really, built in the 1930s in an ornate Art Deco style. Ironically, this supposed desert sits on a source of fresh spring water, and tourists loved spring water back in the 30s. People were coming from cities like Boston and New York where the water wasn't particularly great. When there was an underground source of water that sprung up, that was a real opportunity to attract more tourists here. And it was very popular. You could go and collect a glass of water. Um, I think they charged, you know, a nickel or dime for it or something. The desert temporarily closed during World War II, and the spring house was left vulnerable to the dunes. So it was just swallowed up by the sand? It was swallowed up by the sand. It was really kind of sitting in the line of fire of the direction in which the sand blows. You can see this big dune and how the sand has really stacked up here. Mila bought the place in 2018. She dug out the spring house, and she wanted to learn from the ecology of the desert of Maine. She shows me a roped-off area where grass has begun to grow on what was once exposed sand. This is an example of nature's resilience doing its thing when we, when we give it a little bit of protection and, and allow it to do it. It's happening because water is seeping through from under the sand, the same water that used to flow through that spring house. And the water allowed moss and lichen to take hold. And when moss and lichen start taking hold somewhere, they can actually create new topsoil. And that new topsoil makes it possible for scientists used to call them pioneer plants, but we call them pathfinder plants. They're really rugged and sturdy to start um, regrowing in an area. What's interesting to me is, you know, this is also a tourist attraction. And it, you're intentionally sort of making your tourist attraction smaller. Yeah, well, it's a tourist attraction, but it's it's also here to teach children and families about ecology, how to be good stewards of the land, um, how to take care of our forests here in Maine. So we don't really see this at odds with our mission as a nonprofit or even as a tourist attraction. We, there's still plenty to do here and so rich in, in history. And probably even, you know, 100 years from now, there will be some evidence of, of a sand dune. She says there's a moral here. But it's not a simple moral because it's not that the Tuttles were the evil guy in the Lorax or something. It, they were not cutting down all the truffula trees. They, they were trying to get by. So the, the moral might be something like just be observant of nature. And if your efforts to support your family are really destructive, do something else. Cultivate a relationship to the land where you live and, and be observant and listen to it. And in a world fighting climate change, even a few acres can be a success story. This is Off the Path from WSHU Public Radio. I'm Davis Donovan.